Hello, welcome to Warhorn Media's podcast of Out of Our Minds blog posts. This is episode 89, and it's titled Three Deaths, Sharon Dykstra, Bill Mauser, and Tim Keller. It's second in a series of three. It's by Tim Bailey, I'm your reader, and it's dated July 3, 2023. As I mentioned in the first of this three-part series, On the day Mary Lee and I spent traveling back from three months in Taiwan, May 23rd, we learned of three deaths, Sharon Dykstra, Bill Mauser, and Tim Keller. That these three died within a day or two of each other was jarring. In what way? Since readers didn't know two of them, in the first of these pieces, I told a bit about Mrs. Chuck, Sharon Dykstra. She was a true mother in Israel in my first parish in rural Wisconsin. The second post, we turn to Father Bill Mauser. FR period is an abbreviation of Father, designating Bill's calling from God to serve his sheep as one of our Lord's under-shepherds. Most of Bill's online friends knew and addressed him as Father Bill. Were anyone to wander over to Warhorn's online community called Sanityville, He would find many, many posts generously contributed by Father Bill in response to questions of his fellow Sanityville residents on a wide range of thorny issues of a pastoral and doctrinal nature. Over the five years Sanityville has been freely serving us, we've had few quarrels. When we not infrequently disagree, our exchanges with each other may be dignified with the name argument. If you want to know the difference, read Chesterton on it. One hint is that during their corporate work seeking truth, real men who know the value of arguments demonstrate it by doing their dead-level best not to keep score, whereas men without chess only quarrel because the whole point of the thing is keeping score. Father Bill first appeared on My Horizon online in one of Sanityville's predecessor communities, the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood's discussion list eventually named, quote, CBMW Forum Digest, unquote. Here's one among many of Father Bill's contributions there, this one from 2001. Terilyn is the name of the woman, and this is just an explanatory note, that she was typical of the wide variety of participants we had in that forum, Father Bill and Terrilyn had been in an exchange for some time, and we picked up in the middle of that exchange with this response by Father Bill to Terrilyn's previous post. The date of this contribution of Father Bill is June 25, 2001. Father Bill. Dear Terrilyn and List, In the thread, quote, gender equality at the CBE conference, unquote, Terrilyn and I have moved the discussion into useful areas which are unrelated to the original idea of the thread. These areas are important enough for me to put them into a new thread. The quotes I make from Terrilyn below come from her message number 5177 in that thread. So now he reproduces the discussion. 
Terrellin, quote, So are you saying here that these scriptures regarding a woman teaching are salvation issues, unquote? Father Bill, No, I did not say that. If I had, you would have quoted me, no doubt. Instead, you offer a paraphrase or perhaps what you suppose I am saying. You're incorrect on both counts. That said, I think we agree that what one does with the commandments of the Lord does matter. Commandments of the Lord is a big bag containing in principle every command in Scripture. If we disobey any of them, what follows is a function of several factors which the Lord will sort out at the judgment. However, among those commandments are some which, if they are disobeyed, will result in damnation. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit comes to mind, for example. Terrellin. Quote, Even so, there is usually a distinction between what is necessary to consider one a Christian and salvation issues versus the doctrines they organize their denomination with. I have always seen these issues as organizational rather than salvation issues, unquote. And Father Bill responds, You raise an issue which is going to become more and more central over time in this controversy. For many people, egalitarians and complementarians alike, The issue in the, quote, what you call gender debate, unquote, is purely and merely organizational, as you put it. From this perspective, we're quarreling over matters which are no more ultimate than whether or not a woman should stand in a pulpit and preach. If this point of view is correct, then you're right. The issues as contentious as they may become are not ultimately salvation issues. Indeed, you declare that this is your estimation of the whole controversy when you write, quote, and frankly, I don't think the issue of whether or not women can preach, teach, or hold a church office is a salvation issue. I do think it's academic, unquote. We disagree here. It is not merely academic. Here's why. And so he's responding. Father Bill is responding here. It's an extended discussion. Here's why. As we watch egalitarians develop the egalitarian agenda in other parts of Christian doctrine, what do we see? So far, we see two things which move us quickly into salvation issues. Number one, an evolving hermeneutic which leads necessarily to the endorsement of things which God declares abominable, namely homosexuality. That debate is the next stage among evangelicals, and it appears it will be placed on the table of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship this next week in Atlanta. If you want to see how it will play out in those circles, look back in time, just a little ways, to how the debate has already played out with the Episcopalians, the Methodists, the United Church of Christ, the Presbyterian Church USA, just a few weeks ago. The same hermeneutical strategy which justifies women as peers of men in marriage and church is then turned to making homosexuals peers with everyone else in marriage and church. Uh, I remind uh, the listener that he wrote this back in 2001. Number two, long-established Christian doctrine concerning the Trinity and the Incarnation begin to be, quote, rethought, unquote in order to bring it into line with the egalitarian ethos. This is getting underway with Bill Ezekian's leadership in deconstructing Nicene Trinitarianism. Uh, 
That project is not an original one. Others have been there and done that. They wind up Unitarians. Whether or not Bill Ezekian himself winds up there, his disciples will. Then there is that scandalous particularity of Jesus' maleness. And behind that, that's all the masculine language for God in the Old and New Testaments alike. What are egalitarians going to do with that? To defang the obvious implications about God's gender. For now, the options are still flying, and I see no consensus emerging yet. The most common approach is to literally emasculate the God of the Bible by declaring all the masculine God language irrelevant, accidental, a divine condescension which must not be taken seriously. As far as Jesus is concerned, his maleness is discounted in various ways. At the very least, many will urge that his maleness is no more significant than supposedly the color of his eyes or the shape of his nose. Again, we find ourselves through the egalitarian principle in the midst of Trinitarian and incarnational doctrine with egalitarians refusing to countenance either the scriptures or the doctrine Christians have drawn from that scripture over two millennia. Are these issues, the incarnation, the Trinity, the self-revelation of God in the Bible, are these issues salvation issues? I submit they are, for they determine just who Jesus is and who God is. Tell me, Terrell, if I painted the word Jesus on a golden calf and offered it to others as a proper object for worship and faith, would those who worshipped and trusted in the Jesus golden calf be saved? Then Terrell, quote, I am guessing from everything else you say that you believe that, quote, wrong doctrinal, unquote, belief is sin, even if it does not result in actual sin, unquote. Father Bill responds, John tells us, quote, whoever believes Jesus is the Christ is born of God, unquote, 1 John 5, 1. Is this not a matter of doctrinal belief? Again, I ask you, How does John's statement work if the Jesus someone believes in is a golden calf? If the Jesus someone believes in is a woman? If the Jesus someone believes in is not human but merely became human for a little while and might just as well have done so as a woman rather than a man? Terrellin responds, quote, It is on Christ whom I place my full trust, not upon any human being's interpretation of scriptures, unquote. Father Bill responds, okay. Jesus in Matthew 24, verses 23 and 24 said, quote, Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect, unquote. Which Christ, Terrellin, do you trust? The one in the Bible? The one refashioned from this bit and that bit of Scripture amalgamated with egalitarian values of the 20th century? Is the Christ you trust the same one as the Nicene Fathers trusted? 
If so, why do you reject their teaching about Christ? If not, do you consign them and their disciples to hell because they trusted the wrong Christ? You see, one or the other is true. You may suppose in good postmodern fashion that it doesn't make any difference so long as what we trust is called Christ or Jesus. But Jesus himself warns us that deceivers will bear the name Christ. Finally, I anticipate this next question from you, so I'll just lay it out and answer it. Quote, if one believes as egalitarians believe, are they damned to hell? Unquote. Father Bill then answers his hypothetical. He says, you, of course, believe that I am saying this. I am not. The reason why such a statement cannot have any meaning right now is simply this. Egalitarianism is an evolving thing, much like the Gnosticism of the first four centuries of the church. Egalitarianism is not, as of yet, a creed. Gnosticism was never a creed, but it posed a deadly threat to the truth of the gospel. And once Gnosticism was morphed sufficiently to pass as, quote, Christian, unquote, it appeared in a creedal form in the heresy of Arius. Egalitarianism is just as great a threat as Gnosticism or its creedal offspring, Arianism, ever was. But the controversy is still relatively young to judge by how theological issues matured in the past. It is not hard to foresee a time when the word egalitarian will name a variety of belief which entail a concurrent rejection of the gospel as it is found in the Bible. And this concludes the dialogue between Father Bill and a woman named Terrilyn from back in 2001, and now I pick up. Imagine the gift of Father Bill making such contributions for a quarter century. His audience there wasn't large, but no one would have guessed it from observing the generosity and wisdom of the written wisdom and counsel he freely gave us. Across time, Father Bill grew us into wiser servants of the Lord and much more careful guardians of his truth in sheep. Sanityville was founded back in 2018, and in the intervening years, Father Bill visited 1,400 times, almost daily. Father Bill's contribution reproduced above is typical of his work among us the past 25 years. Father Bill and I shared one grievous disappointment. During my years as executive director of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, there's a footnote there, and the footnote reads, from 1997 to 2000, while also serving as the senior pastor of Trinity Reformed Church. So again, during my years as executive director of CBMW, it didn't take more than a month or two to learn that the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood's Doctrine of Sexuality, remember, they style themselves a council, quote-unquote, was strictly limited to the private Christian spheres of the church and home. This was their relentless phrasing so that in time it became clear only a couple of the men on its board had any commitment to the biblical creation order instituted by God in the state of perfection. That order being Adam first and then Eve. 
CBMW had no doctrine of sexuality, but rather a couple exegetical sticking points they employed as they begged to differ somewhat with egalitarians and feminists, who never stopped claiming they too were Christian and evangelical and held to the inerrancy of Scripture. Bill and I both bemoaned CBMW's betrayal of Scripture, and our friendship grew. Quote, But you must understand, unquote, CBMW's men repeatedly wrote, said, and preached, quote, that this connection between authority, submission, and sexuality we teach applies absolutely and only in the Christian home and church. And even in the church, a woman can do anything an unordained man can do. And at home, it's only a tie-breaking authority, unquote. From their beginning, complementarians minced version of God's truth fundamentally denied that male authority and female submission is a creation mandate, that it is God's perpetual law, not one iota more applicable and binding on the Christian than the Hindu or secularist. So just as Father Bill warned 22 years ago, evangelicals who still style themselves complementarians have arrived at the point where they have no defense against the present rapprochement with Gatum of the Presbyterian Church in America and Covenant Theological Seminary's flaming gay revoice conferences and Gospel Coalition Desiring God and IVPs hyping all the gay Christian spiritual friendship, side B book signings and house parties. Tragically, God's sheep have even been convinced by CBMW's complementarians who keep telling everyone they are the faithful prophets condemning feminism. Let me quote Father Bill again. He writes, quote, Starting with egalitarianism, the founders of CBMW sought to distance themselves from egalitarianism only by the absolute minimal amount, a minimal distance which they could supposedly defend by reference to a handful of verses in the New Testament. Unquote. And then I quote Father Bill again, quote, What will follow complementarianism? The only valid possibility is a full-throated, unapologetic, comprehensive biblical patriarchy, both in terms of a full-orb theology of the sexes and also in terms of viable communities where biblical patriarchy governs cradle-to-grave life in those communities. I say possibility because I see nothing yet on the horizon to suggest such a development will emerge. Remember, those who did not worship Baal in the days of Elijah were so few in number and culturally invisible that Elijah thought he was the last Yahweh worshiper left. Yes, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but that promise says nothing about how numerous or effective the church shall be at any given period of history. Many don't know Father Bill was a Marine who did a tour in Vietnam. His friends noted this and saw obvious parallels between Bill's defensive comrades on the battlefields of Asia and his defensive brothers and sisters in Christ on the battlefields of the church. What faith and courage and how Father Bill was loved for these gifts so clear in his life. Several times I listened to Father Bill recount how Just after he finished at Dallas Theological Seminary, 
He was called to serve as assistant pastor in a rather typical conservative Dallas Theological Seminary dispensational church. Early in his ministry there, Father Bill ran into a marriage mess that in time required of the shepherds and deacons some faith and courage in bringing church discipline to bear on the conflict. Every pastor knows how marital sins destroy families and their children. So it was that after Bill had been providing pastoral counsel and care, what was about to happen became clear, and Bill brought the matter to his pastor and the deacons, suggesting it was time to initiate formal church discipline. His pastor and elders said no and fired Bill. For what? For being so humble as to appeal to them to do the difficult work of defending God's truth in sheep using God's tool of discipline ordained for these purposes. Last year, Father Mauser donated his large collection of Hebrew and Greek reference works to the library of our seminary, New Geneva Academy. And I'd driven down to Dallas to pick them up. Bill and Barbara had me for dinner, and it was a lovely evening. During dinner, I listened to Bill recount the above, and when Bill finished, I said, You know, Bill, you've had a very lonely life, haven't you? He was quiet, and then with some emotion, he answered, Well, I've never had anyone say that to me before, but yes, I have. One final story. Father Bill and Mrs. Mauser developed curricula and held conferences and retreats on sexuality under the auspices of the International Council on Gender Studies. Founded by the Mausers in 1991, ICGS is the umbrella organization for the publication of two sets of Bible studies used by congregations across the country, one titled Five Aspects of Woman and the other Five Aspects of Man. Then I have a link where you can examine these studies for possible use in your own church. I have it online in the written post. Father Bill and Barbara had done a considerable amount of ministry in a larger congregation that included one of the VPs of Navigators, a ministry and publishing corporation based in Colorado Springs. It was maybe 20 years ago now, but one day this VP expressed to Father Bill his concern with the increasingly egalitarian and feminist agenda within Navigators Ministries and Publishing. He told Father Bill he would set up a time and date for Bill to meet with Navigator's executive leadership, and he wondered if it would be possible for Bill to invite one of the famous men of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood to accompany him and help influence Navigator's top brass. Father Bill was excited by the opportunity to defend Scripture's doctrine of sexuality to one of the top parachurch ministries in the U.S., so he wrote this famous man, at CBMW and asked if he would agree to come. His way would be paid and he could help choose the date. What was important was that he was needed. Would he join Bill and seek to shore up this ministry's commitment to God's truth? This seminary professor responded something like, no, Bill, I won't work with you on that. He made it clear to Father Bill that he did not want to be associated with him. Why not? because he knew Father Bill took the devil's attack on God's gift of sexuality seriously, that he feared God, 
and that he would have zeal and courage in his presentation to Navigator's corporate executives. So the famous man left Bill bereft and alone, and Father Bill never stopped grieving this rejection. I grieved the hurt my CBMW colleague caused Bill and Barbara. Yet, in the beginning, middle, and end, men who fight for God's truth are wholly incompatible with men who make their name by trimming God's truth. Next, we will bring this series to its conclusion by turning to the Reverend Tim Keller, who himself died at the same time as Mrs. Sharon Dykstra and Father Bill Mauser. This is second in a series of three posts. Thank you for listening. Please do us a favor by telling friends they can subscribe to audio recordings of Warhorn posts. You can also support our teaching by clicking on the Patreon link at warhornmedia.com. This is Tim Bailey saying thank you for listening.